The latest series on In the Field with Gould's Water Technology called Small Business Toolbox provides groundwater pros like you with info and resources to help you run your business more effectively. This episode was recorded with Jeff Williams of Vermont-based Spafford & Sons Water Wells in Wisconsin Dells while he was touring the country giving presentations to various NGWA chapters on financial literacy. We dove into topics ranging from an overview of asset management to succession planning. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to In the Field with Gould's Water Technology, a solving water podcast from Xylem focused on the residential water and irrigation markets. I'm joined today in scenic Wisconsin Dells by Jeff Williams and my colleague Susan O'Grady, and we're going to be kicking off our latest podcast series on a topic that I'm really excited about, helping the dealer grow and manage their business. And Jeff, Susan and I are especially looking forward to our discussion with you about the importance of understanding business finance when you're running a small business in the water well industry. We're actually going to cover a few topics with you today, which our listeners will be able to access via individual episodes. So Jeff, why don't you start by telling us about yourself and why we're here in the Dells of all places. The exciting Wisconsin Dells. I... uh I'm a water well contractor for nearly 40 years. I've been involved in volunteering on several associations over the last couple, three, four decades, however many it's been. Always have been, I guess I, you could classify me as a lifelong learner, and I continuously look for uh, new challenges, even though change is hard for most of us, we have to keep going forward, right? I'm here because of the McElhaney Lectureship from the National Groundwater Association and the Groundwater Foundation. Uh, I have 20 uh, business-focused lectures to do around the country in 2020, and uh, Wisconsin Dells is the second stop on that tour of lectures. So I'm excited to be here. It's a nice country. The people are great, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to be able to have solid conversations with other business owners and like-minded individuals in our industry. Fantastic. So we're just going to jump right in, but let's kind of break this content down for our listeners. And let's just start with a pretty fundamental topic to building some business finance savvy, which I think is a really important thing as a dealer or contractor to know. Let's talk about variable costs versus fixed costs. You know, what they are, maybe some of the differences between them, and, and a few best practices and how to manage that. Well, variable costs consist of a, a couple different major items in our industry, and, and all industries, I guess. Um, you talk about the direct materials and direct labor that are applied to each project. Uh, A variable cost is a cost that increases over time the more work you do, then the higher that, that that value, that expense column goes. So if you do 10 wells, you'll have expenses of X. If you do 20 wells, you'll have expenses of X squared. Um, you know, so it just continues to rise. And your labor as well, the labor that is applied to each one of these task groups. Mm-hmm. Fixed costs are costs that stay flatline through the year. They're expected costs. This is how much we're going to spend here. Uh, and those will include... They, they could include mortgages, they could include equipment costs. Um, I do break it down one step further in the fixed cost arena mm-hmm. because of the tremendous variability in, in asset costs and asset allocation to a given task 
group, and as a task group, I mean putting in pumps or doing uh, service work on filtration or pumps versus the drilling of the well. Because the assets are, the costs vary so widely, Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's fair to make the pump division or the repair division uh, share those overhead costs. So I have chosen to put those fixed costs into that task group. So then you can effectively look at what it really costs you, what your expenses are per hour for that piece of equipment. Oh, that's really smart. And and just, you know, fixed costs, a lot of times people simply think of fixed costs as overhead expenses. You're talking about some other things here. Are there other examples? Like, can you break down overhead a little bit? Um, or some other examples of fixed costs beyond overhead? Well, in the overhead market, <clears throat> overhead will also um, include administrative expenses. It will include utilities, taxes, licenses, certifications, fees, and, uh, you know, sales. You know, you certainly can add those pieces into it. Uh, and then executive overhead. You know, if you have somebody running a company that doesn't actually go out and they're, they're not a direct labor expense to a particular task, then that's a fixed overhead and that'll have to be shared by everyone. And I share that across the board on a revenue-based approach, uh, a percentage of revenue generated per task group or division as compared to uh, the gross revenue of the company. So okay. I think that's a pretty fair comparison because it takes as much effort you know, from that group uh, to do billing and all that sure. uh, as it, for wells as it does water systems. Sure. And then, you know, and I was reviewing your presentation earlier today and I saw that you had this concept of open door costs and that's not a term I'm familiar with. So I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through that. Well, the open door costs are really in your fixed cost structure. You take your fixed costs of buildings, utilities, maintenance, those, I I sort of put those into open door costs, the guy that mows the lawn, uh, you know, your maintenance on your facilities and those kind of things. Those are your open door costs. So how much does it cost for me to walk up in the morning and turn that key and hit the light switch? Okay. So, you know, it's sort of a subcategory of fixed costs. But it's something that the, the more you drill down into either variable or fixed costs, the farther down into it you drill and the more you look at it, the better handle you get on managing those costs and, and, and then the revenue that's associated. You have an idea what kind of revenue you have to generate. If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. Sure. And why do you think it's so important, like as a, as a sort of a base building or again, like I said fundamental earlier, like when you're learning about small business finance and, and how to run, you know, some better ways to improve the management of your business, why do you think it's so important to understand this difference between variable and fixed? Well, your variable, your variable costs have to be covered on every job. The fixed cost that is applied to that particular task group has to be covered on every job in order to get to what we call a contribution margin. The contribution margin is the revenue generated from operations that covers the fixed costs and the profit. So that's where, you know, as we go through the process, and you have to build this in a manner at which you can understand, interpret, and be able to then forecast forward where your company is going.
The latest Bell & Gossip podcast series on Solving Water features manufacturers, reps, and xylem experts discussing industry trends at the 2020 AHR Expo. Get all 10 episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. So maybe some best practices you can help you know, share with us on um, how contractors can best manage variable, fix, variable and or fixed costs um, and maybe even overhead expenses. Well, in your variable costs, the, the biggest pieces to manage in the variable costs is your labor and efficiency with labor. Okay. Right? The, the materials are going to cost what they cost. And then you, you put a markup on those materials. Mm-hmm that will then part be applied to covering your fixed costs and you're going to make your contribution margin. Um, so then your direct labor is probably that biggest in the variable cost structure. Uh, efficiency with fuel, mileage on your vehicles, tires, all those other maintenance items in your vehicles. How efficient are you at scheduling? Uh, and your repair and service market, how do you how do you have that set up? You know, are you are you running 40 miles one way to run 60 miles the other way, or could we have put the 60 miles one way in one day with some other projects in that area? You know, you start to get into business efficiencies, and that also really talks to the labor component that goes along with it. Um, the fixed expenses, I mean, you, you've got to have good equipment. Uh, you have to have uh, you have to have the resources necessary in a fixed cost structure to be able to to do your job every every day and support the people that are out in the field doing it. And you can certainly manage that, but there's a there's a difference in my mind uh, between managing that and being cheap. So so give us some examples of how you've sort of, as you've um, grown your knowledge in this area, have applied some of these things to your business? A lot of it are the tools that we use, how our trucks are set up, what we carry on them, so when we get to the job site, we can do what we need to do. Uh, one of the things that's been said to me many times is I'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. Uh, and that really holds true, because if you've got a crew out there that's doing a job that's an hour or two hours or three hours from home, and they're missing some 10 cent part and they got to stop and run to a hardware store and pay retail for it and that kind of stuff i mean that just really kills your efficiency over time you know having having those trucks set up also we have gone to vehicle tracking we've gone to uh, real-time vehicle tracking on our service vehicles so that my coordinator and scheduler in the office knows where these vehicles are and how long they've been on the job and when she can expect that they will be ready to move on to the next one. So if we have another service call, see, yeah, we should be able to be there in 60 or 90 minutes or we can't get there today. You know, she has some idea of, of where they are, how long they've been there, what the project is, and when they can expect to be leaving. So a couple pretty, pretty big things that we have done uh, in recent years. Uh, so I, just a question on, um, so you know, every year I'm guessing you get a price increase from most of your distributors. Um, how do you tend to handle that with your fixed costs then? Do you typically pass that on to um, who you're selling to or how is that typically handled? Well, I think if you're running an appropriate markup, if you're running appropriate margins so that you cover your, your, uh, your fixed costs that are, that are beyond the contribution margins, and your your identified profit margins at the end of the year 
that if a supplier gives me a 3% increase in materials or 2% or 5%, whatever that is, there's no way that we can absorb those costs over time. We have to pass those on. And we have to, but we have to be diligent with, with how we do it. And the more intelligent that your financial structure makeup is and the easier to read it is, the easier it is to identify when you need to pass those on. And, and if we're doing a bunch of work and you know, things are great and our volumes are up and our margins are way up, can I absorb a 5% increase for a short period of time? I can. But I have to know that I can before I can. How do you know, are there any like telltale signs for our listeners like that you know that you need to get a better handle on either variable or fixed costs? Are there any, like you talked a lot about efficiency and, and obviously that relates to savings, but um, are there anything specific where you're like, where you know you need to start to really dig into this a little bit more? Gee, I think I'll make money this year. Gosh, I hope I make money this year means you don't have a very good handle on your finances. Okay. You don't know what those cost structures are. You can't interpret them. In order to be able to, to be able to forecast, you have to know where you are. And you have to be able to look back. And if I look back over five years, I can look at trends. Now, when you talk about uh, you know the red flags, if you can't pay your bills, take your 2% discounts. If you're letting your vendor be your lender for any period of time, you got a cash flow issue. You may or may not have a have a profit issue or an issue with meeting your contribution margin to cover your fixed costs. So that's a red flag that goes up. So then you have to identify where where is this issue? Is it just a matter of you know times of billing, waiting for that 60 days or 90 days for that big invoice to come in? So you can go ahead and take care of those accounts payable. So unless you take a really good look at the numbers, you really don't know. You can't drill down and figure out where you're going the wrong way, if you're going the wrong way. I'm not saying you are, but you know, those are red flags. Sure, but it, it could be it could be overwhelming for some folks, especially a lot of these business owners are actually doing a lot of on the work stuff on or on the job stuff like on site work so it's really you know it's a challenge to balance that time so you know where do you even start if you want to start digging into this stuff do you have some ideas i think that you have to take some time when things slow down most of us are seasonal there's some areas of the country that are less seasonal than others but especially in the Rust Belt, above the Mason-Dixon line, we're pretty seasonal. So in the wintertime, you need to find some time to start reviewing this. That's when I use it. I use my time during the winter when we're slow to actually really look at the financials, look at the trends, do the forecasting, and set my pricing structures for next year based on what I think our gross revenue is going to be and what our gross expenses are going to be. Um, it, it, the biggest piece is the asset replacement area uh, in that arena there. That's the hardest one to really get your mind around because you've got a really long-term debt service on a major piece of equipment, and we can't see the future. So that makes that pretty intimidating. Sure, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, which is, is going to be great. Um, so then, okay, so it's winter. I have some time. I'm committed to to looking at my my business at a deeper level are there resources out there a place to go to get even just like a template like i mean how do you start you just you know 
Excel spreadsheet or, you know, are there, are there resources or uh, software out there for, for people that they can easily access? My process evolved over time based on business programs that we run, the computing software, business software that we have. And over time, I evaluated where we were, how we were doing, and I continued to break columns down. And by breaking columns down, we began uh, putting repair and maintenance against a particular vehicle over time. Uh, we had any chargebacks or any warranties or any of that labor that we had to go back out. We started applying that toward particular projects. So you begin to see trends as you go forward. Um, you can see the trends. You look back over the last three to five years and you can say, wow, our, our warranties have gone up. Why? Is it because something we did? Is it product related? Is it application related? What is it? So it, it, it evolved over time based on the program itself, but I also have, have taken some college courses on financing and understanding the numbers. I have always worked really closely with my, my financial people, banks, and uh, my accountant as well. You know, they're all resources and they're all tools in your, in your ability to run your business better. You're going to have to utilize them. Sure. And you made a you made a comment at, at lunch about the banker as being a really important resource. We want to share that here. Absolutely, <clears throat> you know they understand finance. They're the ones that look at your P and Ls and your balance sheets and your statements of owner's equity and look at over time. You know what's your debt service? You know what what's your percentage? And they're the ones that have got the sharp eyes. They're going to be they're going to tell you whether they're going to loan you the money or not on your next venture. Uh, so why wouldn't they be a resource for looking at where you are right now and giving you some advice, too? Uh, I've had a couple bankers over time that would come in, we'd sit down, and we'd, we'd have you know, a two- or three-hour conference on where we are, kind of the State of the Union address sure. almost. And that was very advantageous to me. That's great. Um, anything else you want to touch on in this sort of sphere I know we're, we're having a nice conversation we've got a few more topics to cover but anything else and in this world of variable and fixed costs that we haven't covered no you just just take a look at the numbers uh, and put together you know finance is the ability to be able to put a whole bunch of numbers on a page and make sense out of that's the hardest part, right? Sure. You, you put that stuff on a page. If you had a whole bunch of numbers all over a page, it's like, where do I go from here? Yeah. You have to be able to put them in, a, in order, in assemble them in a fashion so that you can understand them and interpret them. So whatever that is, doesn't matter. It's how, whatever works for you. But the best advice I can give is to actually do it. Take some time and do it because your business doesn't run itself. Sure, and it sounds like you the more specific you can be really benefited from that in your personally like just you said breaking down columns i'm guessing that means just really understanding the elements of each of those categories when you're looking at variable versus fixed that's right that's okay. great the solving water podcast is produced and distributed by xylem a global water technology company of more than 16,000 employees committed to solving critical water and infrastructure challenges worldwide. Stream, download, and subscribe 